Are you a physical therapist who wants to pay off your student loans, gain financial independence, and have true autonomy in your work and your life? The best way to do that is to open your own practice. But how? What are the steps that practically guarantee your success? Well, that's what you're about to learn. The Performance Doc Academy podcast is your audio blueprint to opening your very own physical therapy practice. So let's go. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Performance Doc Academy podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Leon Knight. I'm Dr. Carrie Knight. And I'm Dr. Jared Cooper. And in today's episode, we're going to share with you why you should never open a cash-based practice. Now, y'all thought you would never do this episode, especially when you first started out, right? So let's, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> For sure. Like, to be part of this episode is almost, I would have cringed. <laughs> I would, or if I was a guest on someone else's podcast, and they asked me, "Hey, uh, what do you think about this episode?" I'm like, wait, wait, you got the wrong guy. I'm cash based for life, guys. Um, but to think that I've now completely changed is is crazy to me. And at the end of this episode, you guys got to stay tuned because we're gonna share with you what we believe is the best model that you guys should consider and actually do. Um, so stay tuned, but. To go back to your question, Jared, the cash-based model was the only model that I thought would allow me to be my own boss, set my own rates, do everything my way that is tailor-made for me to practice patient-first, patient-anything, well, patient-first type of um, approach. So whatever the patient needed, I was able to do without any barriers when it comes to EMR insurance as well as time allocation right and so that's and it was the hot thing to do when i first came out six years ago seven years ago it was it was being pushed and in a way where it was a it was a movement it was almost a movement where look if you're a badass and you are and you're like a rebel (laughs) if you're a rebel and you want to change the game you got to go on your own. Like, forget this, like, big box. Like, it's almost like, you know, when it came to conservative, like, I want smaller government. I want smaller this. I want, I want, to, I want to control my terms. I want very little, um, very little intervention from bosses and insurances. So I'm going to do it my way. And so, um, and, I, and I really took hold of yeah. that movement. I, I said, I mean, let's go. I, yeah, he was, like, that went right with, like, who he was as a person, like, he definitely didn't want any authority, no boss. So, like, thinking of going in network with insurances was like, I'm just going to start that all over again. I left to go on my own because I don't want that, right? So <laughs> what led to that belief that insurance was bad, cash is the way to go? Because I think I have an idea about what that kind of belief system is based upon, but I want to hear what, what you think yours was based upon. Now, you know, I'm a different breed in regards to first, I just I, I have trouble with authority. So that was the first thing that was driving me. <laughs> and so I was working for someone at the time. And then second of all, it was this environment that I was working in, which was a very busy practice. And I started to learn that the reason why they had to be very busy was due to the fact that their insurance reimbursements were minimal. Because they was in, they were in network with all insurances, so their their average 
uh, pay per patient was less than what they would have, what their cash rate was. And so they had to make up the difference. And so they pushed seeing two to three an hour in which, you know, coming out of school, you're, you're, you're in school, you're, you're, you're taught to be um, an advocate for ethics and the patient and to give them the best treatment. You need time. You can't do 30 minute evals and so forth. So I was already had that mindset of I hate authority and I am like the perfect PT student advocate for patients, right? That combined made me want to give to go the cash based um, practice model right off the, right off the bat. I think that's probably what most physical therapists think of when they think of a of a insurance based practice. They picture big box companies that are doing three to four patients an hour, churning them out like a car wash. I think that's what most physios picture in their head. And then they go out on a clinical rotation and their clinical rotation is in one of those practices where they see like, you know, 15 patients a day and they're doing two to three an hour, maybe even more patients. Right. And there's all this documentation and they develop this mindset that accepting insurance is evil. Insurance companies are evil. These kinds of practices are evil and that the only way to escape the devil is to open a cash-based practice. But in a way, they don't realize that there's really a devil on both sides. Mm-hmm. That you're giving up one thing, you're giving up one set of problems and acquiring a new set of problems that you didn't even know were problems because you can get brainwashed in both ways. You can get brainwashed to think that insurance is bad and cash is good. And once you do, unfortunately, now you go into a cash-based model and you find yourself working harder. And that could very well be because of the number one reason we have on our list about why you should never open a cash-based practice. And that is your cost to acquire a customer. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so I... I think it's definitely higher cost to acquire a customer in the cash-based model. Um, again, we I think we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but learning how to sell and market yourself is not something we learn in school. Um, so that's just like a whole nother animal, and it's tenfold when you're cash-based compared to insurance. Yeah, just think about it I mean, from a customer for from a patient when you're trying to acquire a patient you don't get any layups so no like assist from anyone whether it's an md whether it is the insurance company so just think about it you don't even get the free advertising that a insurance provider would put on their on their website or directory of providers in your area that you can go to right if you were in network you would but as a as an outcast in the cash-based model, <laughs> you don't get any of that, right? And so every patient that you get, you have to spend a certain amount of time, money, and effort once you get them in the door, right? Because that's the sales pitch that we're talking about, just to get them to come for one visit, right? That's just one visit. Whereas... You're not even, and so people don't understand 
how difficult that is per patient. And to do that over and over in order to get a certain, uh, a caseload that is steady for you to start making money and, and growing, it can be a lot on a person who has not really developed the skills when we're talking about sales and marketing that you need to have in order to be able to acquire one patient. Mm-hmm. I'm just even thinking about myself. Like if I need to go to a new kind of doctor, like a dermatologist, I just moved to a new area. I need to go find a dermatologist. Like the first thing I'm going to do is go to the insurance company website and be like, okay, who's in network in my area? Like that's just what I would do. Um, and I think that's what most people are kind of just like trained to do when they have insurance. That's because most people believe, as they deservingly should, that all practitioners are pretty much trained the same. If you go to a GP, a GP who's in network, what's the difference? The GP is going to listen to your heart, listen to your lungs, look in your ears. You know, if you're a guy, they're going to stick something up your butt. I mean, like, they're they're all going to do the same shit, you know? And then in the end, they're going to give you some antibiotics because that's what they do. Now... (laughs) The, the reason that people have that perspective is because in the domain of, you know, physicians, in the domain of, of internists, general practitioners, they all basically do the same thing. Physical therapy, not so much. You go to one physical therapist, two physical therapists, three physical therapists, they may have entirely different plans, entirely different programs. I would argue this is a problem, not a benefit of physical therapy. But that aside, there's an enormous difference between physical therapists that are just out of school and folks that have been out for five, 10 years that have seen thousands of patients and have been to a hundred con ed courses and they're working off of a legitimate framework for treatment. It's an enormous difference, but the problem is the patients don't know that only we know that. So as a result, the patient is going to say, okay, what is the smallest barrier to entry? It's going to be an in-network provider. So in order for you to acquire a cash-based customer, assuming you don't take any insurance whatsoever, the first step you have to do is get the customer as a prospect. Well, how do you get the customer as a prospect? Well, you could go to a physician, but do physicians want to refer to cash-based practices if they're in-network with an insurance company? No, <laughs> no, absolutely, <laughs> no, not. I, I absolutely mean, not. They, feel they don't like want to do your advertising for right. you. They're going to have to do the marketing to their patient. Like no, So like the, you know, the only, I think physician referrals we ever got was just like maybe a physician who had actually seen us would then say to yes. certain patients, like yes. you should go to them. Um, right. right. But again, that requires the physician to have already come and been a patient of yours, which is slim chances of that. <laughs> I mean, that conversation is you go into a doctor's office to meet a physician, right? To introduce yourself. Hey, we just moved to the area. We just opened a practice, whatever. They will ask you at some point in time in that conversation, what insurances do you take? Mm-hmm. And when Pretty you quickly. say no, they always have this look on their face like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, cause they know they're, they're not going to spend the time to convince their patient most of the time to go to you. Now that's not a hundred percent true. There are physicians when they get to know you and they get to know that you're the shit, they will sell you to their patient, of course. But it's very difficult to grow a business off of one referral source or two referral sources. So, okay, so you don't have physicians as your option. So what's the other thing? You can go what's called direct-to-consumer marketing. You can just market to the public. 
Okay. This means you got to start learning how to do things like Facebook ads. You got to start learning how to do things like Google ads. You got to get in front of a uh, chamber of commerce. You got to do workshops and seminars. The hustle, the hustle required to essentially acquire the customer when you're cash based is so much greater than when you accept insurance that you now spend a huge chunk of your time becoming and being a marketer and a salesperson and not a physical therapist, which means that if you have X number of hours in the week, if you're not dedicating a large chunk of that time to getting out into the community, making ads, putting ads out there, spending money on ads, doing workshops, you're not going to acquire customers very fast. You will have a small practice maybe with, uh, you know, five patients a day, eight patients a day, but you'll never grow to the size of being seven figures. You'll never grow to the size where you can sell your business. It just, it just won't happen unless you're, uh, un unless you're a zebra. Right. I mean, oh, not a zebra, a unicorn. unicorn right? Right. <laughs> How does that fucking expression go? Unless, unless you're a unicorn and there are unicorns out there that are just, that are just fantastic and they can do everything. But for the most part, unless you're a unicorn, your cost to acquire a customer is huge. I mean, what, what did you guys have to do early on with regards to marketing in order to build the practice? And at what point in time did you realize that being a hundred percent cash was more so an obstacle than it was a benefit? Well, in the beginning, we use our re all our resources right in front of us. So we were inside of a gym. And so we worked inside out. We wanted to be considered the resource and the expert in the gym. And luckily, the gym owner and the personal trainers really, we, we were able to establish good relationships with them. They were open to establishing and collaborate, collaborating early on. So that allowed us to at least start to get some momentum that way with the members, their, um, their clients. And then after that, yes, we were doing workshops. So we would go to different gyms, um, phone rolling courses, this, that, you know, our workshops. And if we weren't doing that, we were doing Instagram posts, you know, really getting ourselves out there. We consider that as our online resume showing that, Hey, uh, this is what physical therapy can look like for you. If you're currently going to physical therapy and feel unfulfilled or you feel like it's not working, I'm doing shoulder and you have a shoulder issue. If you see our shoulder type of approach, shoulder exercises or shoulder um, impingement approach, that looks different. I'm intrigued. I want to try that out, right? So, or at least sign up for a consultation. Speaking of sales, we did free consultations to get people in the door. That's another way of, okay, trying to l decrease as many barriers as possible so you can get the opportunity to speak with them in person. And, t and sell them on the fact that this is different and why it's different and what they can expect. And let me think, we did I, some I other was, things too. Oh, well, I was gonna answer your other question when you were asking, like what was the kind of moment that you realized like, hey, this is gonna be more difficult. And I would say for Leon, it was probably when somebody said to him like, you don't really have a business. Mm -hmm. um, like if you don't work, you don't make money. And so at that point he's like, man, I, I want to grow this practice. Like, what are the best steps to do that? And it was like, wow, maybe we do need to start considering going in network with some of these insurances so we can grow faster. She's right. It was that moment. And then when we started to, when we got in net, when we tried Blue Cross Blue Shield as in network, 
because then we got a couple post ops. I, I was like, man, you know what? I didn't even really have to work that hard to get these patients. <laughs> right. right. I think that's what yeah. a lot of people don't realize. Is <laughs> it was like, wait. <laughs> when you when you accept insurance, yeah. I mean, like, we we had so we. How do I say this without giving away the end of this podcast? We had elaborate sales scripts for our front desk person. We had to train our front desk people to be salespeople. They, they can be front desk people all day long. You can hire a front desk person. It doesn't make a difference. They have a smile and they can schedule somebody that's a front desk person. <laughs> but your front desk person is your salesperson when you have to acquire customers the front desk would oftentimes spend anywhere between 15 minutes and 45 minutes on the phone with a cold call in order to get that person converted over just to do a free evaluation. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes to get a free evaluation. Cause you have to disclose to them, of course, that you, you know, you're not going to take their insurance. So they have to know right off the bat. And it takes a lot of essentially scales, sales skills to get somebody on the phone to agree to com- to micro commit to something for free, knowing that if they want to continue, it's going to come out of their pocket. So the cost to acquire a customer goes up. The effort to acquire a customer goes up. All of a sudden, you start taking an insurance. The person calls up. They say, you in network? You say, yeah. Well, gonna, conversation's over. <laughs> Sign <laughs> me up. When do you want to come in? Tuesday. We'll see you Tuesday. You're done. Yep. That's a three minute conversation that anybody can deliver. You don't need a salesperson to deliver that conversation. And so not only is the cost to acquire a customer higher because you don't have to spend money on ads. You don't have to spend your time, which is money. Time is money when you're a cash based practitioner. Cause if you're not working, you're not making money. So if you spend five hours a day going around and doing marketing stuff, five times your hourly rate, that's costing you. F- let's say your hourly rates a hundred bucks. You spend five hours a week. It costs you $2,000 a month to go and do marketing. That's even before you spend money on ads. Then you spend money on ads. If you're the one out there doing the marketing and meeting these people, then when they come to you, like they want to see you, they don't, they don't want to see this person you hired. So once again, kind of going back to that, like if you don't work, you don't make money. Like if you're out there doing the marketing and then you're also doing the treating because they want to see you. You they want to see the guy. They don't want to see Joe Schmo who you hired and pay them $150. Exactly. I just wrote down as it maybe we'll put this in the in the show notes that <laughs> unfortunately you become the man. I mean right. or woman, right? I mean like that that's that's not a good thing. Like early on in your career you're like I want to be the person. I said man cuz I'm a man, right? I want to be the man. I want to be the person that everybody comes to see. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't grow a business like that. That's horrible. Everybody that calls up on the phone wants to see you. You only have so many hours in your schedule. And so you're right. When, when you're the person out there doing all the marketing, you're the one doing the workshops, you're the one doing the seminars. And then that person wants to come in for physical therapy. They don't want to see you know somebody else. They want to see you. This basically has the effect of inhibiting growth, which I think we could talk about next year, which is just, it is way harder to grow when you are a 100% cash-based practice. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and we, we touched on. So just to recap, I, I want them to understand why this is difficult. We talked about how difficult it is, what it, what, it, what it takes to acquire a patient, the cost, the time, the effort. Once you get the patient, most people don't tell you, you don't keep them as long as you would if they were using their insurance. So you have a higher churn, uh, like higher 
churn. A high, higher churn, like you, higher higher turnover rate, right? A higher discharge rate. Like they they drop off. They don't stay as long. You don't get the full plan of a care plan of a plan of care um, with these patients. So not only are you spending a lot of time, money, and effort to acquire a new patient, that patient doesn't stay with you that long. So you're in constantly trying to get new patients because you don't have these patients filling up your schedule for weeks on out. And so that's another aspect that makes it very difficult for you to keep a caseload and to grow as well, which you don't run into with insurance as much just because if someone's only paying a copay or a coinsurance, they're more likely to be able to sustain that over time as opposed to 120 a session, 150 a session. And then on top of that, if they're paying a copay and a coinsurance, then they're more likely to come to you twice a week. We didn't even talk about most of these patients when you're seeing them in cash-based practice, they're only coming once a week just for the financial commitment, unless you have um, you know, a very wealthy right. unlimited or, funds. Yeah, unlimited funds, um, you know, professional athlete. Which kind of brings us to the next problem, which is I know that for me, one of the reasons that I never wanted to be a 100% cash-based practice was because I, I didn't only want to work with rich people. And mm -hmm. we get into this business. There are some people that get into this business and they go to um, underserved areas. They work with individuals who are maybe uninsured. They work in uh, pro bono clinics because they recognize the fact that there is a huge sector of this population that does not have access to quality health care. Now, do you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution? If you want to be part of the problem, charge $250 an hour. <laughs> Cause you will never see, you will never see the blue collar worker that is, is underinsured. They will never mm -hmm. afford you. They're going to have to go to, uh, uh, the community practice. They're going to have to go to the hospital and they're going to essentially end up as part of the system. You offer a, a very exclusive type service. You're a good physio. You spend a lot of time with your patients, but only if you've got 250 bucks an hour to spend. I mean, what, what are you saying to the world when you do that? So you say, well, I have a sliding scale, but how much can you possibly slide from 250 down to 200, 150? Are you going to start, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. at some point in time, you can only slide so far. And so I don't mean that in a derogatory turn, rich people. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. But what I do mean is that you are essentially omitting an entire population of human beings that need your help potentially and can't get it because you have set your prices at a particular pot where you essentially make it impossible for people to come and see you. And so there is something, and I don't, I don't know if this is an ethical question or moral question, whatever it is, but I can tell you me personally, I never felt good about the possibility that I had to say no to somebody because they couldn't afford my services. That to me never felt right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, right, there's a, that, that happens too often in the cash-based practice where, like, you get to the point where you feel connected through a consultation, you feel, I can really help this person, and then you then you look at the numbers of how you, you, start to, you start to learn that it's going to take a certain amount of sessions, weeks, because it's chronic. Like, they're coming to you because this is chronic. You're their last hope and option. And you're, you're thinking, okay, well, 
I either got to stick to my <laughs> 150 rate yeah. or I have to drop it. But then if you're in it with a certain heart, you know, for providing service to any and every one, then the cash based practice is going to be very difficult because you're always going to have this sliding scale and you're not going to make any money. And the problem gets worse and worse the better you get. Because the better you get, the more you realize you are the person that can help them. This may that's be someone true. that's been to four or five other practitioners. They've been to a Cairo. They've been to pain management. And you see something that you think that you can help them with, adjust, whatever it is, that nobody else is doing. And uh, and and you have to say to them, listen, I, I know how to help you, but I'm sorry, I can't. Like, <laughs> you, you can't afford my services. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, you know, when you, when you go to bed at night. Right. Mm -hmm, for sure. And it's like, how many like pro bono cases do you do? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And then you start flipping and going, okay, I'm going to reduce my prices. I'm going to start doing pro bono. And then you end up with another conflict, which is, you know, how can I charge one person $40 and the other person $250? I mean, then it's, then it's like, <laughs> yeah, it just becomes problematic. So yeah. the nice thing about insurance is it, it kind of like, uh, it makes all that, it makes all that moot. You know, I mean, like, look, you have the insurance that you have. And, and it's not even like, you know, with Obamacare and everything, you don't even have to make a lot of money to get good insurance. The less money you make, the, the more, the better the plans are. You sort of have available to you. Like yeah. there is, you know, they charge you essentially now your, uh, what do they call it? What's the monthly fee that you pay for your insurance? I'm forgetting the name. Premium? Of it. Your, your premium. Thank you. They charge you your premium based on your income. So if you only make $30,000 a year, you have a much lower premium than somebody that makes, let's say, $150,000 a year. So the premium-based system that is now in play allows people who do not have large incomes to get good coverage and good health care. You know, we don't have universal health care, but at least let's work in the direction that giving people access. For sure. Um, I think... Another one we touched on a little bit, like talking about MDs um, not wanting to refer to cash-based practices. Um, but I think if you are in a state that does not have full direct access, it's going to be really hard for you to have a cash-based practice um, because those patients like are going to have to come to you with an MD script and you're already struggling getting the MDs to refer to you. And so it's like just, again, one more hoop that the patient has to jump through to come see you. Um, which you've already got a lot, like we said. Yeah. I mean, I know that. So you're, you're saying that they, they need the referral anyway from the physician. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So if it's, if they're coming to you direct access in a cash based model and the reason they're coming to you directly is because you don't get a lot of referrals from doctors when you're cash. You right. rely on direct to consumer marketing. So now that person comes to see you and it's like, okay, well, I'm glad you're here, but you now have to go back to your physician and get a script for everything that we're about to do. Right. Yeah. And then that what about this idea of post-ops? So like, you know, what, I mean, I know for me, when I treat post-ops, like those are sort of the easiest patients to treat and they're kind of the most fun in a way because yes. they all get, they all get better. <laughs> and they all get better. They see progress. And you know what? They, you build relationships along the way. You get to know them, right? Like, I think it's, it's they, and I, and I, I'm a, I'm a, add this one too. I think they really appreciate and value the service that you provide, right? Like they're really grateful for it. You know what, Jared, I was on crutches when I started here. I can hardly walk. I thought I would never be able to get back to doing what I love to do. 
Thanks, Jared. Here's some cakes. Or here's a, here's a cake. Oh, thanks, Leo. That made me right? feel good. Right? Like, like th- thank you. Here's a card. I really appreciate that. You know, gift card on me. I, you know, whatever. Don't accept it. Whatever. But I, I, I just think ultimately they are very fun in the sense where you have this time period where you get to know them. They make progress. And absolutely, Jared, you're right. They get better. And and there, it's pretty much easy to do. It's not necessarily, you don't really mess that up. Mm-hmm. Well, how well, many I, sessions I, wait, were wait, you... Wait, wait, wait. You can't say you don't mess that up because oh, yeah, I some... will say the only people we were seeing post-op when we were cash-based was the ones that were got really messed up <laughs> by their PTs who didn't do right. a good job. Yeah, right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but I want to say they're harder to mess up, okay? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. How many sessions do you think it takes to get a high-level athlete post-op ACL, maybe even with a meniscus, okay, to return to sport high level? How many sessions or months? High level? Either, high either level. one. Yeah. Uh, how, about, how about this? High level. I mean, why? getting them to walk down the street, if that's all they got to do, maybe no big deal. I'm talking about getting a return to sport. Eight months. Okay. Eight months. How many times a week? High level athletes, they come three times a week, minimum. Yeah. This um, guy's coming. It's coming. He, he's coming right now. The guy had surgery, ACL surgery, May 26th or 28th. I can't remember which one. And he was coming three times. He's been coming three times a week since. Yeah. See, so you go on, you go on uh, Performance Dog Instagram. You're, you're going to see Dr. Leon uh, doing some cool shit, doing some fancy stuff. And you get the impression when you see some of that stuff that that took a week, two weeks, six weeks, <laughs> <laughs> not realizing that you're watching a before and after that took six months <laughs> to no get context, better. Right. It's like anything else. It's like when you watch those like makeover shows, you know, where they come in and they like, you know, break your house down and build it back up. And it looks like it happened in an hour. Cause that's how long it took you to watch the goddamn episode. But, <laughs> but it, it took them, you know, it took them, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. All right. So six, let's say you say eight months. Okay. Eight months, three times a week. There's about 4.2 weeks in a, in a, in a month. So and, and four Jared, times sorry, three is sorry to cut you off. This is a high level athlete that has insurance or, you know, like, like it was funny. One of these guys, he had insurance through the NBA and let me tell you, let me tell you a story. And then you're going to break down the numbers. He, um, he had insurance and his copay, I think, was twenty dollars because he had it through the NBA and he has it for life. He was coming three times a week. Well, it, it, he actually, again, some of those guys don't necessarily they don't think about insurance as much. So he was actually coming cash based last summer. Three times a week. Not even he didn't even mention he had insurance, um, which was fine because I don't think we were in network with his insurance company at that time anyway. But then he had surgery and Leon's like, "Well, do you have insurance?" Because I mean, we can just look at your insurance benefits, and he's like, "Yeah, I do." So then, you only had to pay twenty dollars a visit. And Jared, tell, and and this is this is perspective. Even though he had the money to do it, and he was going to do it this year again, he said, "You know what? I'm so glad you mentioned insurance. I I, I would come every day now. Like, I, like it was one of those moments. Like, you know, even though he had the money, and it wouldn't have been no problem to continue paying this summer." He was like, yeah, I mean, it's only 20 bucks now. So still the mindset, even if people have money, they want to use insurance. And that's another reason to consider. But sorry, 100%. go ahead, break down the numbers. No, no, I, yeah, so okay, let's just, say, let's just say your average ACL, not your pro athlete, your average ACL is at least six months, 
right? And let, they do have to come three times a week for sure. Maybe they can drop down to two towards the end. But let's say three times a week and you got 4.2 weeks in a month times six months. They're doing about 75 visits, right? <laughs> let's, just, let's just round that down to 70 visits. And let's say you're charging them 150 visits a session. So guess what it costs them to do physical therapy with you, Cash? Too much. Cost them $10,000. <laughs> Now the question is, and this is a many, non-athlete, non-athlete, like this is a regular, no this is a non-athlete. Yeah. You're taking cash. It's ten thousand dollars plus the cost of their premium, which you are not taking. So their health insurance, not including the cost of the surgery, not including the cost of the hospital stay, not including the cost of the follow-ups with the, all the physicians that they need to go see. $10,000 plus that, plus the $1,000 premium they're paying you for six months. This surgery is costing them twenty dollars to $25,000. There are individuals that do not have $25,000. You flip the script and you charge them a $20 copay, all of a sudden, this whole thing makes a little bit more sense. I can tell you for sure that when we were charging cash to patients, they would essentially desist from physical therapy prematurely before I knew that they were all better simply right. because of the finances. And they'll typically say something like, listen, I'm going to try to get the rest of the way on my own, knowing full well that they didn't know how to progress to the next stage. But it just becomes a, an issue of, of, of money. And it's not to say that it, you know when you're in an in-network insurance, they're going to pay forever. Usually there's a cap, 20 visits, 30 visits maybe. But that'll get you most of the way there. And then they're coming out of pocket for the last bit. So not only is it harder to grow your practice, it's harder to deliver a full episode of care particularly with post-ops. Okay, this leads us to the conclusion that when you are a cash-based practitioner, you will not see a lot of post-ops. You will end up seeing a lot more chronic pain. And when you see a lot of chronic pain, or you're working with high-level, high-level athletes who can come out of pocket no problem because they're making a million dollars a year, or you're working at, you, you, you know, you're in Beverly Hills or someplace where everybody has enough money to sort of pay for your services, fine. But for the most part, the, for, for the majority of practitioners out there, you're seeing the average Joe, the average Jane, that individual will not come to you for post-op because it requires too many sessions. Not that they won't, but you're, the chances of you seeing them in that domain are less, which means you, as a result of not seeing more acute injuries, you're going to end up seeing more chronic injuries. And the chronic pain patients, the chronic patients, unfortunately don't get better as well. So in the end, is your job as fulfilling? I know cash patients physical therapists that see people on kind of a semi-regular basis and they complain a lot that these patients don't really get better, right? They're coming in, they're <laughs> they coming the in for maintenance. They have the money and they're coming in and they do you have any clue how boring that can get when patients don't get better and you're just Dare doing the it. same damn thing every single time? And for the, for the whole hour, like people don't understand with the cash-based model too, you are now their site psychologist right like so you are now getting a chance to really understand why you know all the emotion and 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 the connection mentally to their um their injury or their condition right like they had a divorce ever since the divorce they, their pain got worse like it's exponentially more sensitive you can't bring that up or they, the sessions wrote like there there is there is a lot of other factors that you start to have to deal with 
and and consider in your plan of care that you're not necessarily qualified for, but you will be for one hundred fifty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <laughs> like, you're gonna do oh, whatever it takes. I know. Leon used to think like, yeah, uh, like I, I really want to. Two fifty an do hour. This. You got a PhD, a DPT, an MD, <laughs> DO. <laughs> um, what I was say is, Leon used to think like that's the patient I want to see, like the ones who have been everywhere and nothing worked, because like they're so fun to problem solve. But I think over time he figured out like. No, like there's a reason that mm. no one's gotten them better. Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like there's more to it than just their injury, right? Like, right, like, right, right. And there, and the other therapist skill set, right? It's, it's a little bit more than that. Like, but um, yeah, you just got to be careful with that. And I, I think what that what that brings talking about that brings me to the next point, which was when I was cash based only, cash based only. I was thinking. Uh, how am I going to get out of seeing these patients all the time? Like, like what's my no exit strategy? Like, well, am I going to just do this for the rest of my life? And um, business-wise and thinking from a perspective in terms of, like, what's next? All entrepreneurs want to know what's next. They, they get they, Once you get to a certain point in your business, whatever your endeavor is, you, you, you're not, you don't get bored, but you, you start to think, okay, no, I you get bored. You do it. You get bored, right? Be and so you, you, you get bored, bored right? <laughs> you get bored and things like you mentioned start to start to push you in a direction where like, okay, what's next? And so I didn't have an exit strategy. All I saw myself doing was treating one-on-one difficult patients and max capacity being like 30 a week, in which I felt was sufficient, right? 30, I can make good money, whatever the case may be, but... Um, I didn't want to do any more than that. I felt mentally taxed after every day because you're putting so much into one session. Um, and so I, uh, I was like, you know, I, I can never leave this. <laughs> I can never get out of this. And it is harder to say. You think about this, those that are listening. If you are the guy, like we just mentioned, unfortunately everyone wants to see you, then you bring someone on to take your place but they are tied to you. They've just told you their whole story, life story. I'm talking about five decades worth. You think they're going to want to start that story over to, with Don <laughs> that you just hired? <laughs> that's not, that's not going to happen. It's but not also, only that. It's like, imagine you're charging $250 an hour, $150, <laughs> whatever it is. Okay, now you, br- you, 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 bring on, you bring on another PT. Let's say you bring on a PT named Jane. Okay, you're going to go see Jane. But Jane's not you. I want to see you. No, you got to see Jane. So you got to convince people to see Jane. So what do you do? You say it's two fifty to see me, but it's one fifty to see Jane. Mm. Okay. Now what did you just do? You just devalued Jane. That's All right, right. So you bring Jane, and you got to say, okay, Jane, you're worth less than me. I'm going to charge people less. We almost tried to do this. People were going to pay three hundred dollars to see me, and they're going to pay a hundred something to see somebody else. What the heck are you saying about the other person when you do that? This this strategy doesn't really work. Okay, so what do you do? Now you make Jane cost the same thing as you. So you charge two fifty. Jane is two fifty. But then you run into the problem that you just mentioned. They don't want Jane. Right. If Jane's two fifty and you're two fifty, I'd rather have you. I just told you my whole life story. <laughs> you know everything there is to know about me. What am I going to go see somebody else for? Right. So it becomes very hard to transition people. And then but, on top of that, go ahead. Yeah, you know, what I was going to say is, okay, let's say you do successfully hire like one or two other therapists and. 
you you know, you're working in the practice for some years and you decide like, okay, I'm ready to really get out really like whether it's retirement or whether it's onto the next venture or whatever it is you want to sell. That's also just as hard because like you've been the guy, like that's just a harder sale to whoever's going to buy your business because they don't know that that practice is going to sustain itself and run itself without you out there marketing and working the way you have to build it. Well, you came to me with this question recently, didn't you? Right. (laughs) You came to me and you were like, hey, man, listen, listen, I know I'm supposed to be working on this, that, and the other, but I, I had an opportunity. I think I'm going to buy another business. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I, said, I said, okay, let's go get some Chipotle and talk about this. So, um, so you were explaining to me that the business that you were looking at, right, it was one guy mm-hmm. and he was the guy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, did you buy the business? No, no, but you're absolutely right. Thank God. So I said, I said, look, I can't, I don't want to say anything bad if you bought the business. So I said, uh, (laughs) how are you going to transition these people over to you? And even if you do, now you're just gonna be working twice as hard. So you can't transition them to transition them to you. You got to transition them to somebody else. Now you got to find the person that's going to be good enough to meet the expectations of this guy's patience. How are you going to do that? I mean, that's really hard to do. So when you, when you are cash and you're the person that everybody wants to see, you're stuck and like you can't sell because nobody wants to buy a cash based practice where you're the person because they have to solve. Everybody knows when they buy a practice like that, they have to solve that problem, which is how do they get all those patients to go see somebody new? Right. I mean, that's a, that's a big issue. And again, it's not like we're dentists. I mean, you come in for a teeth cleaning, it's a teeth cleaning. I mean, how many teeth cleanings have you had? How many different hygienists have you had in your life? Probably, I mean, I've probably had a dozen hygienists and mm-hmm. my teeth always right. are the same at the end. They're always just yeah. clean because there's only one outcome they're dentist, trying to get to. Even when you go to like your dentist, like you, you don't ask for which hygienist you're going to get. <laughs> no. And I've been through four or five dentists. I don't care. Like yeah. I just want someone decently competent. You know, because I don't have a mouthful of cavities and I don't need 10 root canals. Guy, generally healthy teeth. It doesn't really matter when you're generally healthy. Patients with real problems, patients with real problems really do care who they see. Yes, they mm-hmm. do. You know what but I mean? But the, they're not the majority. They're not going to be the majority. If you, they, so I take that back. If, if you're in a network, in network practice, they are not going to be the majority. When you're in a cash-based practice, they right. are the majority. Right, right, right. exactly. Yes. So, so, I mean, so there's the issue, right? So there's no exit strategy, essentially. And so uh, just to tell a personal story, we essentially grew our practice to the point where I was very happy with where it was at. We were doing seven figures of revenue. But we we got to a life point where my wife and I said, listen, running a practice is, is not what we want to be doing anymore. Primarily just because, you know, we're getting older. I just want to be teaching. I want to focus on teaching. I want to focus on producing content and teaching different life goals. We said, okay, it's time to sell. Thank God that we grew the practice in such a way that we were able to get out. And in 2020, right in the middle of COVID, we sold the practice. We sold it to a, you know, a bigger company that went in, looked at all of our metrics and gave us an offer that made complete sense for us. If we had stayed just me, in the clinic taking cash and we got to a point where I said I wanted to teach and I don't want to practice anymore I would be stuck I would have no way of getting out the moment I stopped treating that'd be it and during the time when I transitioned to teaching thank goodness we had built a practice that was not predicated on just me and just like you you're hiring people you've got a number of therapists that are working for you right now and if you decide that you want to take a couple of days off a week you can now do that 
And if you were a cash-based only practice, that would be much, much harder. Not impossible. We're not saying it's impossible. It's just much, much harder. It's harder to step away. It's harder to develop free time for yourself. People think they go into a cash-based practice that they're doing so they can have freedom. The complete opposite effect occurs. When you open a cash-based practice, you have just given up all of your freedom because you have to do everything. You have to do the marketing, you have to do the sales, and you have to do all the treatments. When you have an insurance-based practice, you can step away, hire therapists to deliver good care, and all of a sudden, you can then step back further and further and further and further, and then all of a sudden, not only do you have a practice that is seeing more visits, which means it now becomes marketable to somebody that wants to buy it, which means you can exit at whatever time that you want, but you no longer have to do all the delivery of care. That is more so the definition of freedom than it is being a slave to your own business. That's right. For sure. <laughs> and now I know everybody's been waiting. Okay, so you, I've, I've, the people that have listened to the first episode, the episode that talks about why you should never accept insurance, they're thinking, uh, okay. Now what? Now what? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'm just going to keep working for somebody else. Okay, you know right. what? You guys can <laughs> no, miss me. I don't yeah. need a business. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, guys did a great job. I'm not business anymore. <laughs> great job, guys. I'm not opening neither. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dr. Leon, what is the number one best perfect payment model when you are opening a practice? It has to be the hybrid model, right? Like, Tell me, tell not, me more. All right, yes. <laughs> you're not all in on either. Meaning like you're not only, you're not exclusively cash-based and you're not exclusively insurance-based. You're keeping yourself, um, you, you're keeping what you ultimately are looking for when you um, start, start your own practice, the autonomy to treat a certain way, not have a boss, and not to really be dictated by insurances. What I mean by that is you're able to now say, okay, I'm going to set my, I'm going to set a cash rate for those that I'm not, for their, for the insurance plans that I'm not accepting, right? And so which insurance insurances are you going to accept? The ones that pay the, not the best. I don't want to say the best because that doesn't necessarily really equate for, it doesn't make, it's not a business decision. Every decision you make should be based on the biz, a business decision. It has to be that your margins of what you're trying to pay yourself makes sense for you. And so we can always talk about how you develop that. But ultimately, you need to figure out how much you want to pay for, you pay yourself first as a salary and determine what is what, what margins are you going to need to make per patient that you see. When you do that, that, that margin, what you're looking for per patient once you find that, you'll know which insurances you should be able that you're going to accept, and then that makes it a lot easier for you to say, okay, yes, I'm not going to accept United Healthcare because they pay pay a flat rate, which doesn't allow me to achieve the margins that I have set out for myself in order for me to make the salary, make the amount of money that I'm looking to make. So now you've strategically leveraged your your services in a way that. You still make what you're looking to make, but you make yourself more accessible to a larger demographic of patients, um, which allows you to still grow and keep a certain level of ser uh, right. quality service. And you're not changing your business model to fit right. your payment structure. So you're choosing what insurances can allow you to keep your business model. 100%. And 
there's, I'm going to put one more sort of analogy in here that'll help folks understand when you have a portfolio of investments, for example, you go to a financial advisor, you say, I've got a hundred thousand dollars to invest. What should I do with my money? A good financial advisor will never tell you to put all hundred thousand dollars into one investment vehicle. They will never say, yes, put a hundred thousand dollars on uh, Johnson and Johnson or Apple. They'll never do that. They'll never say put a hundred thousand dollars into a, a bond and leave it there. What they're going to do is they're going to diversify your portfolio. They're going to put some stuff in the fast growth stuff. They're going to put some of your money into the slower growth stuff. They're going to put some of your money into a mutual fund that provides dividends. They're going to, they're going to spread it out. They're going to diversify. And the reason that they do that is because a diversified por portfolio has growth potential, but it also minimizes risk. When you're setting up your payment model for your business, you want to do exactly the same thing. When you have a cash-based person, it's low hassle, high yield, but they're more difficult to acquire and there's a higher churn. It's complete opposite for insurance. It's lower yield, lower risk. However, it's lower on the revenue side. You have an out-of-network person. They're not going to, they're, they're essentially, an out-of-network person is essentially cash in the beginning and insurance in the end. So that's kind of a mix between the two. Well, when you diversify and you've got some out of network, some in network and some cash, all of a sudden now you get the best of everything. Now you get the worst of everything as well. But for the most part in a business, you create stability by diversification. You reduce risk by diversification. And yet you also have the potential for growth through diversification. So our recommendation is some version of a hybrid model. You can shift it more towards insurance. You can shift it more towards out of network. You can shift it more towards cash. But essentially, all of any of those on their own become problematic. The company that I'm currently consulting right now is unfortunately 100% in network. So guess what's happening to their entire business as expenses go up and reimbursement rates go down? Boop, 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 boop. It becomes problematic. <laughs> right. On the other hand, someone who's entirely cash-based, entirely cash-based, guess what happens when the economy goes down, gas prices go up, and we hit a recession? Who's affording $150 an hour? Boop, 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 boop. Right? You hit a recession, all of a sudden, you have to rely on your insurance, your insurance people because they already are paying for it. They have the insurance companies paying you. The insurance company's doing just fine, trust me. So... Diversified model, hybrid model, we believe is the absolute way to go. Yes, it does take a little bit of a steeper learning curve because you have to learn the cash-based side and you have to learn the insurance side. You have to learn both sides. But that's why the Performance Stock Academy was built because we want to teach you both sides so that you can essentially build a business that is stable and primed for superb growth and gives you the potential to exit when you want to exit at the point in time in your life when you want to go on to something else. Thanks so much for listening to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. Make sure to head over to www.performancedocacademy.com where you can learn everything that you need to know about how to start, grow, and eventually sell your very own physical therapy practice. We are going to teach you step by step. It is all of the information and knowledge that we wish that we had when we started out in our own practices, and this is going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in mistakes. Head over to www.performancedocacademy.com. We'll see you there.